Um, I'm going to try to keep it together. I don't know what happened. I uh, was sitting there listening to the songs, and I've just become over, overcome by emotions. So, um, it is good to be with you all though this morning. I, I appreciate uh, the opportunity the opportunity to be here. Uh, we're continuing through our Imago Day series, uh, the Image of God. And this week, I feel I feel very honored to be able to bring the message this morning. Uh, I believe God has set up things to allow me to bring this message to not only share with you my personal experience with disabilities but also what God's word says and how God views those with disabilities. And whenever we hear the word disabilities, I think it's really easy for us to zero in on, on a person that we know, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but the truth is, is that disabilities is a broad term. Uh, some people have genetic disabilities. Some people have mental disabilities, physical disabilities. Some were born with them. Others receive them later in life, like from a car accident. And some are just a result of our bodies failing us, like eyeglasses or, or, the, or the need to uh, get around with a walker that we didn't used to use before. And so it's important to remember that as we go through this message, as we go through these texts, though some may have a disability, not all consider it something that they suffer from. And a lot of my message will lean into my personal experience. As some of you may know, our first daughter suffered from a neurological condition known as hydrocephalus. Uh, my wife had essentially become an expert on the condition. And so I would encourage you that if you have questions throughout this message, if you hear something, if you want to know more, I would definitely encourage you to reach out to her. Uh, but basically what happened was her brain was a fraction of what it should have been. And because of uh, ventricles dilating in her brain, which is still terms that I, I still don't understand, but I'm uh, more so just regurgitating what I was told, uh, her brain was not able to develop properly. And I'll get it more into this later, but as I go through this, I hope that you know uh, that the, those in the disability community are near to my heart and near to the heart of my wife. And I hope that you can sense that as we move forward. But what we're going to see, first of all, is that Jesus taught that God is sovereign over disabilities. So if you have your copies of God's Word, uh, please open to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. John 9 is a familiar passage to some. Within it, we find beautiful theological truths. And our focus for this point will be found in the first few verses. So uh, hopefully you found it or, or making your way there. Uh, if not, the words will be behind me on the screen. Uh, take a look at verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So let's stop there for a minute. Jesus and his disciples are making their way through town, and they encounter a blind man. This man was probably in the town square um, asking for help, calling out. They, they, they would try to bring attention to themselves. 
And they encounter this blind man, and we find out that he's, he's been born blind from birth. And so Jesus sees the man, and the disciples see Jesus seeing the man. And we'll get into this more uh, a little bit later. I have this at the end of my sermon, the importance of Jesus seeing the man. But I just want to point that out, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But Jesus sees him. The disciples see Jesus seeing him. And without being prompted, the disciples ask him, what sin is responsible for this disability, for this blindness? Did his parents sin, or did he sin? The disciples wanted to know this. Uh, they wanted to know the cause of the blindness. And, it, and it's easy for us to kind of jump down the throats of the disciples and get on to them and say, man, that was a really dumb question that you asked. But there's probably good reason for it. In the ancient Near East religions and even in the Old Testament, disabilities were kind of seen as a punishment from God. Those with certain conditions like disabilities were not allowed to enter into the temple to worship. They were not allowed to enter into uh, the presence of God. And disciples, knowing this, ask what naturally would have come to their minds. Did some, someone did something wrong, and we want to know how, right? You have an opportunity to kind of get some insight from the creator of the world. So what caused this? The disciples were focused on the cause of the blindness, but Jesus was focused on something much more profound, much greater. So let's keep reading. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, Jesus did not give the answer that they really expected it. It might've been easy for Jesus and, and probably right for him to do so to say, Hey, let's go back to Genesis three. Let's talk about the origins of sin. Let's talk about how Adam and Eve and how this wasn't how things were supposed to be, but sin entered the world and so on and so forth. And he could have given them a theological discourse on the origins of sin. And he would have been right to do so. But again, Jesus was not focused on the cause Jesus was focused on the purpose. You see, we all experience the result of, of the fall. We all experience the result of sins in some way. We have been scarred physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And while it may not seem that there's purpose in it, there is. There's purpose behind it, and God is always working behind the scenes, even in those dark moments when it doesn't seem like it. But disabilities are so much more than that. They're an opportunity for God to display his works in us. Now, how does that work? How is that, how is that even fair? Well, as I shared earlier, my wife and I do have experience in this, in this area. Our first daughter was diagnosed at 20 weeks gestation with hydrocephalus, a birth defect that does not allow her brain to fully develop. Candace and I were in our mid-20s filled with joy and excitement about this next chapter of our life. And that joy and excitement were quickly snatched away and replaced with anger, disappointment, frustration, questions, and grief. We were so overwhelmed by everything. It was such a, a quick process for us to be thrown into that that we really had no idea what was going on at the moment. We were sent to specialists. We were sent to see doctors. Medical terms 
were being thrown at us that, that, that we couldn't possibly comprehend. It was quite literally what, what was supposed to be a simple OB visit was a nightmare that we could not wake up from. To say it, would, it was exhausting would have been an understatement. We spent many nights praying, crying out to God, asking questions, many nights sobbing uncontrollably. But ultimately what we knew above all else was that God was in control over this situation. We knew that the Lord was sovereign. We knew that he had a plan and a purpose for all of it. And we knew especially that our sweet little girl's life was going to shine so brightly and it was going to display the glory of God to its fullest extent. Now, does this mean that God was simply just seizing an opportunity to display his glory? Was he just snatching up a, a moment to say, hey, I can really shine through this? No, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond God just displaying his glory through a situation like this. But God is completely in control. God is sovereign over disabilities. And it's tough for, for some people to hear that. But he is absolutely in control over the forming process of every person. He holds every chromosome, every molecule, molecule, and every strand of DNA in his hands. And the reason that I know this is because of Bible verses like uh, Psalm 139, 13 through 16, which should be on the screen. You guys don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Our, our eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, as yet there were none of them. So are we to assume that God only knits the parts and intimately knows each person, but only if they're made without disabilities? Absolutely not. God has purposed that person for his glory. He intends for that life to be a beacon for the world to see. I've shared this before, but it's worth mentioning again. As we were going through that process with, with our daughter, one of the outlets that my wife found uh, to be incredibly helpful was she kept a blog that she would update regularly. It's still out there. I found it. Um, I, I read it in preparation for this. Uh, it has not up, been updated in a number of years, though. But she kept this blog just to kind of pour out her heart a little bit. And really, it was just intended to be for our families. We just wanted to update all of our families at once and say, hey, here, here you guys can uh, find some updates about it. But that blog somehow got out, and it was read by tens of thousands of people in dozens of different countries. In it, we were able to share the source of our hope. When people had asked, how are you able to remain hopeful? How are you able to remain positive? Where is your source of comfort? We were able to point to Jesus and say, this is where our hope is. This is how we're able to find comfort in darkness. We don't understand exactly what's going on. We don't know why God allowed this to happen to us, but we know that he's in control over this and he is our hope. He is our source and our rock. And we've been able uh, to speak to people 
who have lost children when otherwise we would not be able to have the opportunity to do so. Uh, We've been able to pour into parents who have received a similar diagnosis in their children and say, hey, we, we know where you are. We know what you're going through. Let us help you. And all of this is because of the situation that we went through. And Jesus knew all of this. He knew all of this with us. He knew all of this in John chapter 9. And we see that whether God heals someone, like in, in John chapter 9, eventually the blind man gets healed or doesn't, God is still sovereign over all of it. But just as importantly, and, and what helped us to really get through this situation is not only did we know God was sovereign, but we knew he was good. We knew he was good. So God is sovereign over disabilities. But also, Jesus demonstrated that our common need is eternal. Our common need is eternal. So flip over to Mark chapter 2, if you would, in your copies of God's Word. In Mark chapter 2, we're faced with a, a pretty familiar part of Scripture. You may have heard this taught in several different settings uh, with uh, different points of application. But what really struck me as I was studying this passage in preparation for our message is that Jesus doesn't respond initially in the way that, his, that the, the friends of the paralytic might have expected Jesus to. So take a look at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, even at the door, and he was preaching the word to him. So we learn in the the, the opening verses of this chapter that Jesus returns home. Word gets out. Everyone kind of hears, hey, Jesus is here. He's back in town. And everybody and their brother comes to hear him speak. The house becomes so crowded that there isn't any room to move. Look at verses 3 through 4, if you would. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed which the paralytic lay. So a group of friends hear that Jesus is in town, right? They identify the house that he's at. And they want to take advantage of this opportunity, not for themselves, but for their friend, And so they begin to do what most of us would never imagine doing. And quite frankly, most of us would become outraged at this thought of someone destroying our roof. They begin to open it so that they can lower their friend down. Now stop for a minute and really think about this. Put yourself in this story. The determination, the love, the unstoppable desire to help someone that you love is incredible to think about. We're not told how far these guys actually walked or about their journey, where they come from, but there's no doubt that they were exhausted. They finally get their friend in front of Jesus, and it's likely that they wanted Jesus to heal him physically. But when Jesus saw their faith, he forgave the sins of the paralytic. Now, we're not told the reaction of the friends, but it's likely that they couldn't believe what just happened. Maybe not in the, the most positive way. They're thinking, dude, we came all this way. We carried our friends for miles. We lifted them onto this roof to face private property. And all you do is forgive his sins. Are you kidding me right now? 
Yes, eventually Jesus does heal him physically. But Jesus' primary concern with this man was not on his physical needs. His primary concern was on a need much greater that this man had. And in fact, it's a need that all of us have. When you read through the Gospels and you really look at the interactions that Jesus had with people, it becomes clear what Jesus cared about more than anything else was the spiritual need that was in people. And in fact, it's in all of us. It's this need to be reconciled to our creator because of the sin of Adam and Eve, because of the sin that all of us have committed. We are separated from God. That's because God is holy and we are not. God is perfect and we are not. And there is only one hope for us. There is only one solution and it's Jesus. Just like the paralytic's friend saw Jesus as the only hope for their friend, our only hope is found in Jesus. We have a debt that is insurmountable. We owe a perfect God. We owe the creator of the universe everything that we have and more. And there's nothing in this world that can cure our sin problem. No good deeds, no amount of checks written, no time spent volunteering, or anything else that we think might be able to balance the scales out. And in fact, there are no scales because really, if, if you want to compare yourself to other people and say, well, at least I'm not as, as bad as that person. Well, at least I don't do that. That's great. But the standard is not man. The standard is God. And if you really want to stack yourself up against God to see how good you really are, we can play that game. Our hope is only found in putting our faith in Jesus. Only he can change our heart and soul. Only he can erase and pay our debt. So what do we do with this? How do we spread this good news to all people and, and even to those in the disability community? Well, we'll see that Jesus commanded us to pursue and welcome people with disabilities into his church. If you would, one more time, flip over to another section of scripture, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, we read about Jesus having dinner with the ruler of the Pharisees. It's likely that the Pharisees had very little interest in hanging out with Jesus. They, very, they likely had very little interest in learning from Jesus. But rather, this was probably a trap for Jesus. As they do so often, they look for opportunities to trick and trap Jesus. So let's begin reading in verse 1. One Sabbath, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to, hate, to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into the well on Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach about the intrinsic value of people. Jesus valued this person. Jesus valued people. Jesus valued this man who had a disability. The Pharisees only hoping to trap Jesus into, into healing 
so that they could take this charge against him, were upset that he would do such a thing. How dare you heal on the Sabbath? And he says, man is more valuable than the Sabbath. So Jesus turns it around and uses it to, as an opportunity to teach them about invitations into the kingdom. Jump down to verse 12, if you would. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will repay, be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He says, hey, don't just use dinners or banquets to gain something from it. It was very common practice for, uh, for people in this day and age, especially the Pharisees. They took advantage of it so often, where they would eat with people of, of status and power, and they would use it to, to gain things into their life like uh, wealth, personal gain. And Jesus says, hey, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Invitations sent out to be should be to those who cannot pay you back, those who were commonly ignored, and those you, you cannot materially benefit from. And that's what we should be doing, is we should be sending out invitations to everyone, but especially to those in the disability community, because church should never be just about what we can get out of it. But it's an opportunity for us to serve, because Jesus, Jesus establishes that the kingdom is for everyone, but our focus should be on those who normally don't get recognized, those who are usually ignored, and those that are usually neglected. The church should be a place for everyone of every kind. And really, the, the church should be at the forefront of this endeavor. We should regularly lead by example, have opportunities to, to minister to those in the disability community, and talk about disabilities way more than we actually do. It's kind of a taboo subject. It's kind of something that uh, we don't really recognize and, and talk about as often as we should. But we need to go out and we need to give invitations to all people, even those who, who can't pay us back, and those that we can't gain from materially. And some of you in this room may be thinking, oh, that's really great, Kevin. But how does this affect me? What, what are some things that I can do right now to put this into practice? And I can really only speak from my experience. I can really only speak for my wife and I. There are people in the disability community that would add to this list. This is not an exhaustive thing that I'm giving you. These are good starting points, but there are people that would likely add to this list and say, hey, here's some additional things that we can do. So over the years, these are the things that we have found helpful for us in our personal experience dealing with our, our daughter, Annalise, who had a disability. Uh, we felt like the church here at Blue Valley down in Mobile did such a great job of making my family and especially my child feel welcome. People would regularly come up and try to talk to her, try to make her smile, right? Uh, try to make her laugh. Some of them would even ask questions. And just like Jesus in John chapter 9, they, he saw the blind man. People here saw my daughter. And that was so meaningful to us. 
They didn't just look at her, but they saw her for who she was as an image bearer, as a child, as a person. People saw my daughter, and that was especially meaningful to us. One of the memories that is burned into my brain from when our daughter uh, was here, uh, I was serving in the middle school ministry under Pastor Jonathan at the time. And those middle school girls who, who have since graduated and moved on into adulthood, uh, those middle school girls every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening uh, would just get so excited for the opportunity to spend time with Annalise. Candace would set up in the, in the corner of the student ministry room. She'd lay down a blanket and some toys, and uh, that would just kind of be Annalise's corner for her to roll around and stretch and play and just kind of um, get some her time. And the middle school girls, every Sunday without fail, Sunday morning, Sunday night, they would gather around, they'd sit around the blanket and entertain her and play with her and just interact with her. They would ask Candace questions and just really get to know her. And it was so meaningful to me. It was so meaningful to Candace. And I think it was especially meaningful to our daughter because they gave her attention. They treated her as someone who had inherent value, as someone who was made in the image of God. And they treated her as they would just about any other child. My wife and I are of firm belief that one of the best things that Annalise experienced here on earth was inclusion into the lives of those around her. Invitations to play dates. Invitations to birthday parties. It was always so great. And, and sometimes, yeah, you've got to know, but inclusion into your lives is so important. Asking questions. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask questions. We're afraid to uh, ask questions out of fear of, of offending someone. And yeah, there may be offensive questions and, and wording may need to be changed, but one of the best starting points you can have for a conversation is just by asking questions, but also listening in Mark chapter 10, Jesus encounters a blind man, and rather than telling the blind man, hey, this is what you need, and this is what you want, Jesus went up to the blind man and said, what do you need? And he listened. And I think there's a valuable lesson in that. Don't be afraid to ask questions, but don't forget to listen. And just talk to them. It's great to connect with people on Sunday mornings. It's great, but Candace always appreciated the phone calls and texts during midweek just to, just to make sure that she was doing all right and she needed anything. And just a few more. Church, we have a golden opportunity right in front of us to show that we care. If we want to become a place of welcoming for those in the disability community, if we uh, want to send out those invitations and show the community that we really care about this stuff, we have an awesome opportunity right in front of us. As you, as you may or may not have noticed, our playgrounds are not in great shape. And to be honest, it's, uh, it's a little bit embarrassing what they look like. We've had members work on them, and we so appreciate their efforts, and thank you to those who have tried to upkeep it and, and, and make it look nice. But right now, they're not ADA compliant. And right now, Dr. Tracy is sitting on a bid for brand new, beautiful playgrounds that would become ADA compliant and wheelchair friendly. And it would be a sign to our community that not only do we value children and children's ministry, but we are a welcoming church for those in the disability community. But the bid for three playgrounds, two here at Antioch, one at Ridgeview, is a couple hundred thousand dollars. And what I want us to challenge, what I want to challenge us to do right now is to put our money where our mouth is and say, hey, this is a step that we can take 
This is an initiative that we can take to show that we care and we value those in that community. And this should become a priority for us. Also, we could use students and adults to be a buddy to children who need extra support to have meaningful inclusion into Sunday school. It's one of the best times you'll ever have. When we partner with, uh, in the spring with the SOAR Special Needs Ministry to offer a respite night for caregivers, sign up to be a buddy. It doesn't take a lot of effort, and it's something that is so meaningful uh, to those who attend that respite night. We have adults with disabilities in our midst that need rides getting to and from church, to and from appointments, or to and from work. These are all small steps that we can take right now. These are things that, that we can do to show that we care, to show that, that we're willing to send out those invitations to those who cannot pay us back. We may not get anything from it, but we can send out those, those invitations to show that we care and we want them included in the kingdom. Here's what I'll leave you with, church family. Those in the disability community are less likely to come to church because they don't feel welcome. They feel like a burden. They feel like a hassle. Or maybe they've had a bad experience and we have an opportunity to change that and be on the forefront of that here today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.